Welcome to Twin Speaks is intended for mature audiences. Also, content warning, we will be discussing topics such as domestic abuse and violence. If you're okay watching Twin Peaks, you'll be okay listening to us. Thank you, and welcome to Twin Speaks. Hello! Hi! And welcome to Welcome to Twin Speaks. I'm Mike. I'm Janine. Uh, and I have seen Twin Peaks. This is now my fifth or sixth run through, technically, I guess. And Janine, how many first times have you watched Twin Peaks? First time, first time. <laughs> I can't believe I still don't know anything. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> So well, you've made it. You made it to episode two, so you're in it now. Yeah, I'm We're totally a professional now. I'm a, a, I'm a proper fan. One episode. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's it's all it takes. It's mm-hmm. all it takes. You're in it now. We're in this now. We're on episode two, and it might be a little confusing because th- this episode of Twin Peaks is called episode one. Because the first episode is the pilot, so if you're listening to this and you're confused and it's your first time watching Twin Peaks, go back and listen to our first episode, the pilot. That's that's the first episode. This is the second episode, but it's called episode one. Anywho, last time on Welcome to Twin Speaks, we talked about the first episode of Twin Peaks the pilot and we talked about pocket rockets kids dancing in the hall and most importantly the tragedy around laura palmer's death janine any thoughts since then any new ideas speculations we'll talk more about it as we discuss this episode but anything pop into your brain as we were going Um, in between episodes yeah i honestly i i'm definitely still and I think this is probably not an irrational thing to say. I'm a confused first viewer. Like, I mean, it's a signature thing with David Lynch. Um, but yeah, I very much am my head spinning and I'm kind of still trying to gather who is who, what is what. I, I I don't know. I know there's donuts now. I know there's coffee. I definitely <laughs> know who Cooper is. Um and a few other names, but overall, I am having so many what the hell moments. <laughs> um, with the color red, I'm just very. I shouldn't have a, a like a drink near me for drinking game purposes because I just it's so intense, and I'm just like oh, that person's wearing red, oh, that wall is red, oh, red. What does it mean? <laughs> the cherry pie is red. Exactly. <laughs> Don't even get me started on the cherry pie. Janine. Let's head over to the Great Northern. <laughs> Talk about the plot points of Twin Peaks and go through your thoughts and observations as you have watched this episode for the first time. Kick us off. Oof, gosh. Oh, here we go. Um, I'm like already <laughs> episode two and I'm like, <gasps> I need a breather. I will mention before starting off, I am eating a donut. Mike very much recommended that I have donuts while watching this episode, and it was a very good recommendation. Um, I'm having a chocolate frosted with a little bit of sprinkles on one side. 
um, mm. it's putting me in the zone. I so. am. Um, I, I see. It's. I'm glad you went with donuts because I went the pie direction. There's this little place down the block for me that has amazing coffee and amazing pie. Um, so I got a little, I didn't have cherry pie, but I got a little raspberry pie and I'm drinking decaf coffee because we are recording at seven o'clock. <laughs> yeah, <night. laughs> that, <laughs> it, would be a, would... it would be a bad idea to have caffeine right now. I mean, I'm mm. having wine, so <laughs> <laughs> wine and donuts seems appropriate. So you're, you, y'all might not be able to see what we're eating, but we're going to try to get some ASMR in there. Some, <laughs> some calm. Some crunches, <laughs> some lip smacking. I just wish I didn't say anything about drinking wine. I, I could have just been like. <laughs> that was the worst slurp. It's coffee, ever. guys. It's coffee. <laughs> no, anyone hearing that kind of slurp, they're like, that's happy hour. That's not coffee. That was good. Excellent. Good job. Excellent. Okay, so. Starting off with episode two, or I'm sorry, episode one, correction, which also confused me mm-hmm. when I saw your notes, so I definitely <laughs> was a little yeah. confused there. Okay. Episode one, Traces to Nowhere. Yes. <laughs> um, so, of course, it's starting with, I think, to be my favorite character, Cooper. Um, I really did love that opening shot where it's panning to him talking to Diane. Um, he's such an interesting character. He really... His optimism, or I should say maybe his his enthusiasm towards all things. I, I realized I was like, oh, he's really good at his job in the first episode. He just really loves, you know, what he does. And I'm like, wait, no, he actually is into everything, like food, people, places, things. And I was like, wow, okay. So I find it interesting how he talks to Diane, but him bringing up, what was it? He brought up the Marilyn Monroe relationship. He has like also a very fast like paced mind. Like he's going from one thing to the next. And he's like, oh, I just remembered. Oh, I just remember this or that. And he's like, Diane, I got to tell you this. And I think it's just. <laughs> he's just bit, so excited yeah. to be wherever he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I wonder if he is going to go back to the whole relation, uh, Marilyn Monroe's relationship to the Kennedys. Um, who really pulled the trigger? Indeed, Coop. Indeed. Who really pulled the trigger? On- <laughs> it's like one case Again, at a time. That, <laughs> we get more of that, like a Americana in there too, which which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's not really interesting, like what he's saying and how he's saying, but literally how he's physically saying it. How he's like yeah. upside down. <laughs> I have watched this so many times, and I literally have no idea what that is, <laughs> like what he's doing, <laughs> if that's supposed to be like meditative or exercising or what those like metal clamps are. <laughs> I know Puts exactly what that is. Just kidding. No, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be shocked. I I'd know. Be shocked. <laughs> so transition to, I think he goes downstairs um, and has breakfast. And this is, a, even as it was about to happen and he was sipping that coffee, I'm like, wait, is this this like that iconic moment that a lot of people are referring to? And that's been put into song remixes. And um, <laughs> yeah, I very much got excited myself uh, when Coop just goes, uh, I think the, the favorite, my favorite part of that scene when he takes a sip of the coffee and just goes, damn fine cup of coffee. It's when he goes, uh, excuse me, excuse me. Like he interrupts himself in excitement. And he's like, oh, excuse me, this is a damn fine cup of coffee. And yeah, that was 
<laughs> what 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 I love about that moment is the fact that like it's not enough for him to just like sit there and drink the coffee and enjoy it. He has to stop the waitress. <laughs> like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then take the sip and then express it. Like he has to share that moment with someone. Like that first cup of coffee. It's so important to him that he has to share it with someone. Yeah, it's it got me so nostalgic for Cooper. it got me nostalgic for diners and just in in general when you have a sip of that of a cup of coffee and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is a really good cup of coffee. And now watching Coop, Cooper, I was like, I need to proclaim this more often when it happens. Like, <laughs> so yeah, that was that funny. that and the bacon line. Cremate that bacon, Janine. Just <laughs> just cremate it. I want that bacon burnt. I'm so cremate glad. It. I'm so glad you mentioned that because when when he said that. It reminded me of my grandma and my grandma used to um, every time when she needed to like, heat something up, she'd be like, oh, cremate that. And she goes, oh, nuke it. Nuke it for me, please. And nuke I, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that, like, I, when he said that, I was like, wow. I'm like, Coop and my grandma would have got along so great. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Audrey walks in, which this I was really intrigued by because I knew probably going into this episode Cooper's obviously going to get a little bit more of a lay of the land and who's who. And it's been, um, you know, basically yeah, assessing everyone. And I was kind of really glad that he, well, yeah, uh, the interaction with Audrey, I, I'm very, it's hard for me to read her. Very early on, I found her to be fishy just because of that smile in the classroom in the pilot episode. This time around... The more and more she's, like, giving a little drip of, you know, who she is, I'm actually a little bit more intrigued, less, you know, less irky about her. I don't know. I think she kind of has, like, an interesting history. And, um, but, oh my gosh, Coop, Cooper. Yeah, I, this scene always is weird to me. It's always a little weird. Because it's like, man, she's in high school. Like, what are we doing here, Coop? Yeah, I was, I was nervous about that. This was, like, the first time I was like, oh, damn. I'm like, of course Coop is too good to be true. I am a little bit concerned of, like, and I do get also, this is a show, early 90s. Um, and I'm kind of like, oh, well, of course there's some perviness in a, you know, a secluded town. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. perviness everywhere. It doesn't matter how secluded it is. But, yeah, it was a little bit um, uncomfortable, I guess. We're we're I mean we're gonna watch this relationship grow. We're gonna watch these characters grow and become you know more than what we see here. So I won't say anything now. Um, but yeah, I just remember like first watching this and being like, uh, wait a sec. <laughs> can we, <laughs> Dale? Can you just check yourself right now, real quick? Can we just kind of, um, yeah. So yeah. um, but it definitely something I didn't realize in the first episode that you mentioned during the podcast is I didn't realize that Laura was, was essentially Audrey's brother's tutor. So when I heard them kind of clarify that in the scene, I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So they, so they don't mention it in the first episode. Um, but this is, we, we sort of explore Laura's life a lot more in this episode and her relationship with all the characters. Um, I mean, what a life! And this is this is the first job. We're gonna count them. This is job number one for Laura. She's very busy, 
And we're going to count them as we go through this episode, as well as future episodes. Oh, oh, here we go. Okay. (laughs) This is what I know you were preluding to when you told me about getting ready for the episode and about the donuts and stuff. I was like, oh, my goodness. So opening scene to Lucy, Andy, and uh, Truman's faces and all the donut stuffing I have seen in could ever be produced in just a what minute and a half or a minute scene (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i didn't think that could be um possible and i was impressed all around with uh everybody and obviously i was so glad that you told me to get donuts because yeah i took a bite of a donut what when everybody else was taking a bite of a donut (laughs) it almost seemed like it was like a peer pressure like no, you have to have a donut. <laughs> yeah, so you, you mentioned drinking games. I feel like every time I watch Twin Peaks, I have like a donut eating game where it's like, oh, you know, any anytime Coop drinks coffee, take a bite of your donut. Every time, you know, <laughs> every time you see red, take a sip oh, of coffee. Okay. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the seeing red would have to be associated with drinking coffee or something because I don't think I could. I love donuts. I really do. And I haven't had one actually in a long time. So I'm very glad that this episode was able to bring more donuts into my life. Um, but I could, the idea of eating a bite of a donut every time I see red, I don't know <laughs> if I would make it through the episode. Coffee, maybe. I would just be a little too buzzed for my comfort. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Donuts. Now I'm going to take a bite. <laughs> talking about it and i have and i have a half-eaten donut and i'm like how have i not finished it yet but yeah yeah Yeah. it's really like i have to say that seems comical we're 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 gonna talk about this more later in legacy but it's just the like Mm -hmm. david lynch really just puts food in the forefront of the series and it's so apparent in this scene and i just love how i love the chaotic energy of the scene it opens up with these dudes just like welding in the middle of the sheriff's station like there's nothing else important like it doesn't matter who's killed laura palmer i'm going to have my donut exactly and but and you know that's the thing is like you know as much as we talk about laura in this episode there is this sort of like her death and this investigation kind of moving into the background as like the relationships and like the characters and what they're about start to come to the foreground a little bit. And it's really, really interesting. Donuts really reveal a lot about a person. Now I know that. So, <laughs> so I mean, at least it did transition from the donut um, fest that was that scene. It starts to get a little bit more serious again. And I remember you saying the Hayward family is probably the most for lack of better words, um, put like put together family within the town. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I think it was quite interesting after hearing you say that last time that Hayward was bringing it back to the seriousness of what's going on and, you know, Laura's autopsy. Um, but And I also wasn't sure about Hayward, Hayward's emotions in the scene. I'm not sure if that was because of the actor or if that was just because I still can't trust a damn single character in the story so far. <laughs> I'm so paranoid and suspicious of everyone. So, yeah. No one is innocent. That's how I gathered that. <laughs> no one. <laughs> no one. No one is innocent. <laughs> not even the donuts. Not even the cherry pie. Everything is guilty. <laughs> Everything is suspicious. Everything is. Okay, so Shelly, Shelly, Shelly. Shelly, hey, hey. I hope it's okay every time I do that, every time I bring up her name. <laughs> it's a fantastic. I love 
I love this transition into this scene because it's like, you know, you have this serious scene and like you have Hayward. And I think the last line of the scene is something to the effect of like, I don't know what kind of person would do that to someone. And then boom. Oh, yeah. Big pussy cat <laughs> in big red letters on the side of Leo. Yeah, truck. way. Leo's truck definitely knows how to um, <laughs> change change the mood, basically. I very much, I mean, the only notes I could take from that scene was big pussycat. Big pussycat. Uh, okay. <laughs> that that and just Leo is just a terrible at hiding things. Just terrible, like, you know. Oh, yeah. Here's, here's a bloody, like, shirt uh, that I should really try He's to hide from trying. anyone. I'm just going <laughs> to hand it to my wife who resents me and just have her throw it in the wash. It's fine. Listen, a little baking soda, some little, you know, some, some Tide to go and comes right out. Comes right out. Yeah, I think his whole manner of not even giving a damn, it's, it's almost too, he's so... It's too obvious that I don't really suspect him of actually committing the crime that is killing Laura Palmer. But I am very much like clearly this guy isn't innocent though. He's still a horrible man. Yeah. Um. He he. You know you can't just have a big truck that says "big pussycat" and then think <laughs> that you're a genuinely kind, humble, feminist man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I mean that ponytail is a crime in and of itself. So. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> just get a haircut, man. Get a haircut. The least you can do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm starting to have a little bit of um, sympathy a bit for Shelly's character. Yeah. She definitely looks like she has a shitty situation right now. Yeah. Um, I think James comes in at this point. Um, well, uh, yeah, Cooper and Truman question James. Um, and when I w- was watching this whole scene, you know when you see someone like the fact that he starts telling the truth like it is like he's doing his best to just be like you know he's basically confessing to certain things that was happening his relationship with laura um you know why she might have been the way she was with her then you know boyfriend um and and just certain things i was like rooting for him i'm like that's so you know like it takes a lot to just say the truth like and then not and he looks suspicious as is and then all of a sudden like he just with the necklace, I mean, I get why it's too suspicious to bring up the necklace, but at the same time, uh, also the first flashback, which I'm assuming is the first flashback of Laura while she's alive, besides like the video footage we see in the first episode, that that threw me. Yeah. Also, I did giggle a little bit to the scene because it was like the cheesiest cheesecake <laughs> scene of the the of episode one or episode two because one your whatever skin it is is so soft and you smell so good <laughs> James ma'am learn, learn like, to talk no, to women silly. <laughs> no silly my head canon is that that is not at all how that actually happened that's just how James oh, yeah. imagined that it happened that's how he wanted it to happen oh yeah James perspective I can imagine is so sugar-coated with all the donut frost in the world um, <laughs> yeah very um yeah that, that that it was a little bit cringy um but there's something i f- like be- with how james has been so far that there's an adorableness to him that mm. i'm kind of 
especially to like the interactions with both um james and and donna now that like there's a bit more of james coming out with some truth and and you know also donna with her mom like there's a bit of a dynamic where i was like oh i'm like oh they're kind of adorable but also not exactly under the best of circumstances (laughs) is this happening well um but yeah yeah james james just kind of has like this like He's, he, I guess he's kind of like ignorant in a sort of way, but like he's just sort of like so innocent. But what's interesting about this yeah. scene is like he folds like a paper napkin about everything. His relationship with Laura, Laura was doing cocaine, all this stuff. But he won't admit about the necklace, which is so like, like, dude, just let them know. Like, clearly. Yeah. And and this you is... went that far. How can you not finish it through? That's what was really interesting to me. I'm like, how could you get through that much? And then all of a sudden, like, you can't just admit to that one thing. I was yeah. like, you just admitted to so many other things. Yeah. But, yeah. And and I found that again. Love Cooper. My guy Cooper. <laughs> my man. But like his face that whole time. The way he talks <laughs> the way he talks to Bobby is so different than the way he talks to James and Donna. <laughs> I guess, like, he just has, like, a good sense of, like, smelling bullshit, but, like... The way Cooper looks at James, almost like treating James like a puppy in that scene, um, and then... Because James is a puppy. Bobby and... <laughs> he is. <laughs> um, he's, like, he's a puppy with a leather jacket on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, what was it? When, yeah, when Cooper is interacting with um, Bobby and... I know his name's, I think, Michael, but I keep on referring to him just as Snake because it just sounds more appropriate. <laughs> he is a piece of work. Um, but yeah, I, I noticed that Cooper's eye contact with, you know, these innocent or potentially innocent characters versus um, just the scene when he walks in with both uh, Bobby and Snake and he like hardly even looks at them. And he's just, it's just a bit, yeah. It, it makes me realize this whole kind of like body language topic that gets brought up with uh, Cooper realizing how much he is very, I mean, I had an an idea he was observational, but he's like witty observational and um, it shows too how he's acting in the scene. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So I was a bit um, thrown off from the scene with Bobby and, and snake in the cell. I was like trying to, um like stay caught up and i was like wait i'm like i knew she had a deposit box and i'm like what's this ten thousand dollars um i i'm is this her well i don't know if it might be a spoiler is this her second job well so yeah so actually yeah so i i actually counted three jobs but technically illicitly this would be (laughs) her second job um yeah there's some sort of deal um I, I won't go too much into detail because I don't think that they really mm-hmm. they really don't flesh it all out in this. Um, but there is some sort of deal between Bobby, Mike, and Leo uh, to which there was an amount owed to Leo of $10,000. And Laura, uh, Bobby paid Leo the 5000 the night that Laura died. And the other half, Laura had in the safety deposit box, which now is in possession of the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department. So yeah. Bobby and Mike are now $5,000 short to a 
man who has big pussycat on the side of his truck. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't impressed with them, and no surprise there. I mean, Bobby sometimes does seem like he comes out with a comical one-liners so far, but it also was a display of how much they don't she give a crap about anyone. Us. I didn't know about yeah, she like she checked out. out on us. <laughs> That's your girlfriend you're talking yeah, about. I know, and I'm just like, step. I'm just like, oh my god! Like Laura was really interacting with such shitty people. Like absolutely, um, people who just like yeah, really didn't get. And you know, again, that's sort of the interesting thing about Laura is that it's like people kind of treated her like garbage, and then suddenly she, yeah. she, you know, she went, she went dead, ramped in plastic, and you know, now all of a sudden. <laughs> Everybody cares. I just Everybody. laughed that you said dead. That's not okay. <laughs> You're like, she's dead. And I'm like, ha, yeah, she is. But listen, it's not, not like I okay said she comment. checked out on us. Like some. Yeah, you're right. We have like a little bit more heart. Just a little bit. <laughs> it's okay. They'll be selling light bulbs door to door. Amazing stuff from Bobby. Really, really amazing stuff. So yeah, Donna and uh, the Haywards again. Definitely seeing how innocent or at least potentially innocent they are. But Donna's, um, Donna, the way she starts just opening up to her mom, you know, raw about what she's going through and hoping no judgment. And of course, her mom just goes, you know, like, I love you, sweetie. Like, yeah, that's not exactly a great situation, but we'll hog it out. And but the way she kind of opens up this sort of love affair, essentially, to James. You know, she feels guilty. Like, she knows that. James and Laura had a thing together and now she's just so in love with James and she feels guilty because like her friend died and like like she says you know she's living in this you know this wonderful dream and this horrible nightmare all at the same time yeah and it's really like you that was oof that hit the feels when she said that it's very yeah and, and again when you remember like this is a high school student like you feel so bad because like that is like these relationships should be something that just kind of happen normally and 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 sort of sprout naturally but she has this sort of lingering thing of of her you know her best friend dying that just complicates everything it makes it so much more difficult yeah, to... it makes it hard to assess yeah. where their hearts are because it's coming out of this traumatic murder mm-hmm. you know and someone that they both deeply cared for yeah it, it it sounds like it's tragically starting to and will eventually maybe have a tragic end that's just my theory um yeah when (laughs) yeah when ed talks to truman i think yeah harry there's just such a casual joking of oh yeah like you know maybe nadine is catching on that you're having an affair with um with norma and it's just such a casual i mean for the heavenly (laughs) all-stars yeah i was like oh let's just have this mad men moment (laughs) in twin peaks okay (laughs) chuckling about Alrighty. cheating with your wife no big yeah. deal yeah very uh lynch stamp on that one <laughs> um <laughs> so i'm amazed at how much lynch has been able to make me sort of laugh about certain things i probably would on an average day be like a little bit offended by if it was something like i maybe saw in real that's the thing about shows and cinema it's like you can chuckle at something that's so dark and you're like but if that was really me i'd be so flipping f like like effing pissed and other you know anyway it's it's but um, it's sort of like humor of the audacity like 
Like the yeah, circum exactly the, the circumstances in Twin Peaks are just so ridiculously absurd that you can't help mm-hmm. but just laugh at them. Next scene, um, oh, my love Josie, <laughs> that woman, <laughs> that red lip, uh, that red dress, incredible stuff. Too much red for my comfort with the show, but my goodness, she is so charismatic. And and very um, I mean I I did find it a little not surprising when all of a sudden I think it was Pete, he's like oh let me, that's not what we do here in America. Let me teach you this saying. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. not on the top of the morning. <laughs> and I was like oh god. I love Pete. Pete is just <laughs> such like I want Pete to be my uncle. He's just such like a genuine little like, oh like country bumpkin kind of guy. Like you know. There is something about Pete that, like, I'm half and half about. I think he definitely, he's probably the closest character I think is innocent, though. Okay. In the whole show. So that's one thing I can assess. Okay. But, yeah. Josie's face, though, made me think that she's definitely, she knows. Like, she, I'm, I'm, I feel like she definitely knows a lot more than, than, uh, what's being shown so far. Um. I mean, I know she's having the little, you know, the tango with uh, a Harry, but, and also Coop being able to call that out <laughs> in one scene. Uh, of course he is. I mean, of course he was able to do that. Jeez yeah. um, Louise. It's that, it's that <laughs> FBI training. You just know. Just body language. <laughs> it says it all. I used to say jeez Louise. I used to say jeez Louise all the time. So <laughs> it made me feel quite more relatable to <laughs> Truman's character. Also, I'm not sure too. This is early, too early on to say, but like there is something about I really been liking Truman and Cooper's interactions, but they almost look like for this episode they had the first little bump, or we're like, because I do get that Cooper is very much the lead in everything that's going on, and Truman's kind of sitting back, and because he made that like comment about being Doctor Watson, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So that's like a little kind of thing I I noticed and took note of, but in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, back to Josie. I kind of love her. I hope I can keep loving her. I hope she's innocent, but I don't know. Shall see. And this is now job number three for Laura, if we're counting the illicit <gasps> one. This is now job number three for Laura oh, Palmer, yeah. is teaching Josie English. Like, yeah. What? amazing oh my gosh i'm not realizing in this whole episode how yeah she's working all these different jobs like i was just assessing yeah she definitely knows a lot of people she works in the community but yeah she definitely Absolutely. i like how you're gritting it as like job number one two three yeah. and so forth or, yeah um with 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 more to come also we get i love this line there was a fish <laughs> in the percolator <laughs> this is why i know you love pete because anyone that would deliver such a line Oh, I know you, Mike. That's a- <laughs> it's, it's it's an iconic line. Uh, apparently, it's loosely based off a true story that like happened to David Lynch. He was you're kidding. He was at he was like at a studio with like one of his buddies, I guess, and they were drinking coffee in the rec room, and they realized that there was soap still in the coffee pot. It wasn't dish soap. It's actually a bar of soap that was in the percolator. And so when they were drinking it, they were mm-hmm. just drinking like soapy coffee. So someone like came in and was like, don't drink that coffee. 
There's soup in it. So, <laughs> and but oh apparently Lynch decided to take it one step further and make it a fish. <laughs> Give it a little extra Twin Peaks dash. Of course, and you really get that taste in your mouth when you hear him say it. That face Coop makes that like. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, so um not gonna cover this scene much because she just annoys me. She really is the Karen of the show. Um, Catherine. I do not like a Catherine. Um Yeah, I I she's well I find her to be the most cringy character too, or just in general, I both I find Catherine and Ben and that scene in general. <laughs> Um, make love for the whole afternoon the... yeah <laughs> and them being almost like turned on with the idea of burnt lumber <laughs> and burning I was just like what um, yeah so I'll leave it at that we don't We don't Not need to really talk much more about characters. that scene it's... exactly <laughs> it's done it's done <laughs> yeah so Sarah and Donna they express I think yeah how much they miss Laura and this was a bit tough seeing uh, Laura's mom again and just obviously her still going through her grief, um, even in that very sort of um, intense, sad scene, still managed to jump into a chuckle with that edit of Laura's face on, <laughs> on Donna's face. Those nine, that that, that um, 90s TV special effect budget, man. It wasn't much. It wasn't much. Yeah. But... Still give him cred. <laughs> Um, but going from, I think the way I assessed that scene was like, oh, you know, Sarah's, I was like, I feel so bad for Sarah. She's mourning so much. Um, and then what was it? Leyland before Donna walks in, like, don't upset her. Right when he said that, I was like, she, she's gonna upset her that you don't say something like that before something happens. (laughs) Um, but yeah, my whole kind of registering that scene was so, oh, mourning, mornings for Sarah. This is so sad. Oh my god, that edit. Who the hell like is this guy? What? <laughs> like it just jumped from that to the like just the scene of what she saw with this guy at the what was it, the end of a bed frame. And I'm pretty sure I'm gonna have a nightmare with that face because it was just very creepy. It was ugh. I I can't say much, but I, I think your observations are are um definitely, you know, definitely interesting and, and I think those are definitely the correct responses to that scene. Yeah, so we, I think it's like the hospitals that next scene. I didn't. Yeah, I think it, it's the 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 girl. What's her name? Ronnie or like Renette? Her parents mm-hmm. are getting uh, questioned, and that one armed man wearing a red shirt, by the way, shows up, and this is probably the like the most Lynch esque moment for me besides actually that guy with the bed frame but it follows with another moment like this where all of a sudden hawk i think if that's hawk if i'm correct um follows that one armed man into the morgue with that very blue light and then all of a sudden he's just gone and of course hawk is just like mm, okay uh, yeah like really <laughs> like if andy saw that scene andy would be peeing himself crying like it, it would just <laughs> but I, I just feel like you know hawk just kind of like shrugs and then walks away i'm just like yeah. You're not gonna like look around the room. You're not gonna like <laughs> I know. maybe like look under some stuff. Maybe open some doors. Like, 
Yeah. He's like, ooh, this looks suspicious. Walks in to suspicious room. Nah, I'm good. Gives a, gives a quick look around and goes, eh, whatever. Yeah. Um, not exactly impressed. Like, Hawk did not earn, you know, he's not a, he doesn't have a Hawkeye. I won't give him that. Um, but I'm So, an, um, another moment kind of revealing a lot more that, like, things are becoming clearer for me. Audrey, her dad is Ben, who she refers to, I think, as daddy. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it occurs to me when people say daddy when they're, like, high school or, you know, like, above. Um, but, yeah, I was also kind of, this whole episode has a lot of characters kind of being very um, honest and a bit outwardly about what they're experiencing from James to Donna and now Audrey just, you know, casually admitting that she's the reason why the Norwegians were leaving. I can't say that line without thinking of it. Um, and yeah, Ben, I was already not really having much of a good feeling towards, but, um, and he kind of reminded me of Snake and just like the sort of like the money, like what about the money? I'm not sure if that's a, you know, an interesting connection, but yeah, Ben had a very sort of like, oh, and he really did one. Like, I think I just remember thinking like, wow, what a burn, like, um, saying what he said to his daughter about what was it like? Laura died two days ago. I lost you, you know, years ago or something like that. And I was like, geez, dad. Yeah. It's, I mean, the man is just ice cold. He has no feelings. He, he just doesn't seem to care that a girl just died in this town. He just cares about money. He just cares about... Yeah, like so many people. It seems like there's a lot of people that don't care that Laura has died. And it just makes... It, it's kind of like how you were saying. It seems like Laura really didn't have many people that cared for her, essentially. It's quite sad. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think, you know, I think the effect on the town is that, like, a lot of people are reacting to it in her sound. And, like, you know, even Audrey, who at the beginning of this episode says, you know, like, well, you know, Laura and I weren't exactly friends. And, you know, now to her father... Almost sort of ironically saying to him, like, you know, my dear close friend, Laura Palmer, you know, it's it's interesting to see her react to Laura's death and to see her, like, sort of processing it and how she really is kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, you could read it as she's just teasing her father and she's just like, she just wanted to ruin his day by chasing away the Norwegians. But, like, I think she's actually genuinely saddened by the fact that this that her fellow high school student died in such a tragic, horrible way. Yeah, it was the first moment where I started to think that Audrey, yeah, possibly, you know, is is basically feeling a bit of sadness towards Laura. But still looking at her being like, what has she been through that has led to her being this sort of um, change of words, manipulative sort of character, somewhat witty character. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I hope that she does not wind up scrubbing bidets in a Bulgarian convent. So many little nuggets God, in this was... episode. I really genuinely love yeah. it. Briggs, Bobby's uh, parents, right away, can't stand his dad. Mm. His tone, Bobby, I'm man of the house. Um, I understand you want to be quiet. I understand how a man should be. I understand, you know, that you went through a lot. Bobby smack, cigarette perfect landing, 
<laughs> it also again this whole episode really does full on I'm, I'm impressed because it's a shorter episode than the first but it's making so much groundwork for understanding these can, uh, characters a bit more and why Bobby is the way he is just like Audrey in the previous scene um, but yeah what a piece of work that dad is Mm-mm-mm. yeah dad yeah this <laughs> these two scenes right in a row it's like really highlights that like the dads in it's Twin Peaks, Day. yeah, it, it is not Father's Day in Twin Peaks. They're, they're really not doing such great, so great with the dads here. Because I feel like this has only been a bit more of a newer topic of discussion in recent years, and that, especially in the past year, is that people are starting to talk more about generational trauma and just also like the sort of like bringing down of like past history from parent to parent, you know, mm-hmm. from their, their to their kids and so forth. Um, so watching this like dynamic with these parents and their kids and that being a you know sort of a a topic of today is definitely making me think like wow these dad these dads dudes <laughs> get a grip get do better get some therapy my friend yeah <laughs> call up dr <laughs> jacoby today <laughs> twin, twin peaks the whole town of twin peaks needs needs therapy um or just a better therapist than dr jacoby yeah Yeah. i don't even count dr jacoby coop does really acknowledge his love for pie once again um which i yeah i've actually don't think i think i've had cherry pie maybe once what in in my life i know that's so i mean i am a pie person i love pie um i love like chocolate cream pie apple pie like an apple crumb um I, I ooh raspberry peach I've had before that's absolutely delicious. I think I do love would love cherry pie. I just it's been so long since I've had it, and obviously Coop is making me feel the itch to find a cherry pie somewhere in Brooklyn. But yeah, I yeah I, I haven't w- really had in a long time. I will say this: prior to Twin Peaks, I was not much of a pie person. I was always like ah, I could take it or leave it, but then I just got into this habit of being like. You know, like, I'd get together and watch an episode of Twin Peaks with my friends, and I'd be like, you know what? Let's get just, like, a, like, let's go to the grocery store, just get, like, a thing of cherry pie. We'll get, like, some, like, boxed coffee and have some donuts. And I just really got into pie because of the show, because I just kept eating them, like, it's pretty good, eh? It does that to you. <laughs> and I even, this is really cool, I even got to, like, go to where they filmed, um, at the, the RR Diner, like, the actual filming location, and they that is so cool. they have cherry pie on the menu and so of course <laughs> yeah so this is where we find out oh yeah i did not realize we were going to see the log lady so soon again i thought she was going to probably pop up at the end of the season or something and there she is just sitting you know having a cup of coffee yeah. at rr just another resident of twin peaks the log lady yeah and now i know just because we've been covering it in this episode uh this podcast episode uh, job number three. Well, now it's or four. now it's job oh, number gosh. four because I didn't count. It is four. I didn't count the You're illicit right. okay. stuff. This is job number. I mean, four. I'm right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Norma mentions the whole yeah organize like the organization that Laura was helping with. Um, this I remember Norma was the character I felt most suspicious of in the first episode. I do have to admit I find her, her um, charismatic since then um just because her what she's had two scenes i think in this episode um the one with nadine maybe it's just because of who she's in front of but like she has like a bit of a calm demeanor which can be actually suspicious still but yeah i do find norma to be friendly and a bit 
charismatic, almost like Josie in a different way, um, but just like welcoming. So yeah, I don't know how I feel about Norma still anymore, but Log Lady, I just want to give her a high five. That kind of confidence is the confidence I've been seeking for my whole life. Absolutely. To hold a log around wherever I go and then be like, do you want to talk to my log? No? I thought so. And then <laughs> bye. <laughs> just <laughs> bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, instead of the Irish exit or, like, these terms when people say they want to leave a party, I'm going to say I'm going to do the log lady exit. (laughs) My log has something to tell you. Oh, you don't want to talk to it? Bye. (laughs) Later. Deuces. This scene um, with Leo pissed me off. I mean, I saw it coming. I mean, I had an inkling of it leading to. um, But, yeah. And it just made me feel all the more for Shelly and... You know, the abusive sort of relationship she's in with this guy. And he's such a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And just the way they set the scene. And I found it quite interesting that it looks on first sighting that like the place in which they live in is sort of unfinished. And she's in this sort of space that is like construction work like and it has these sort of plastic awnings on the walls. And yeah, it was just unsettling the whole visual effect of her being in the corner. And it just made me, you know feel for her more it was yeah it was tough but um partially i feel like i was braced with twin peaks mystery and all these sort of like you know and murder and all these kind of dark subjects that it was going to lead to you know some dark characters and dark places so poor shelly that's all i could write in my notes i was just like poor shelly very sad very very sad um lighter note james (laughs) fruit punch and Donna's Donna and Donna's parents. Um, it, it it's like waiting the, when I'm watching the scene. It's like waiting for something bad about to happen, though. The J- James is he seems like he's so innocent. It seems like uh, Donna's parents really, you know, want to support her. And I mean, yeah, ten points that he chose fruit punch. If I was in the '90s, I would be choosing fruit punch too. Um, <laughs> i'm just but i'm still like slightly tensing because this can't end well like it's just nothing that innocent could i imagine end well in a town like this so i'm just kind of bracing that's gonna fall apart um and but at least james is also willing to acknowledge that um his uh what was it aunt nadine (laughs) or or quite a woman or as doc hayward (laughs) refers to her the lady with the patch the patch, yeah. <laughs> Rude. Like, this is Aunt you're talking that about, the... jerk. <laughs> I know. I did think. I'm like, that was the first sort of um, confirmation of how I felt a little bit unsure about Doc. <laughs> Doc Hayward. Uh, so the end. The episode has to end on my favorite. Just kidding. My least favorite character. I think my least favorite character. Frickin' Doctor Jacoby. I gotta have a nickname for this guy i don't like him um it's funny because like there's horrible characters in the show like leo who i can't stand and and so on and ben and whatnot um so far it's all the men how feminist i mean um but jacoby is just with his introduction in the in the pilot yeah anyway seeing him in the scene and this was something my my one assessment from this ending scene i mean obviously 
the the other side of the neck you know the heartbroken necklace how the fuck did he get that was my question um but the coconut and this is my theory he opens it out of a coconut and if i remember correctly harry uh, you know truman he he asks um ed how's the coconut like on his head because he got hit at the he got beat up at the bar so of course i'm really digging way too deep and i'm like jacoby opened a coconut ed was referenced about getting you know has a coconut on his head it has something to do with Laura Palmerston. Janine, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna get you like a cork board that you can like put like pins <laughs> with like strings wrapped around them and like photos and references and things. Really, like let you hammer this out right in front of my desk. <laughs> oh yeah, right in front of my desk. It'll be super healthy because I need this visual cork board to help me understand all this. Um, but yeah, probably the most important part of this end scene: Laura getting to hear her. A lot more for the first time and she i mean one what's up with these tapes two i mean she didn't have to call james dumb i mean well but then again i probably called i think i almost referenced him to being a little bit ditzy in the first episode so i can't yes i'd be hypocritical if i don't point that out he is, he a, is little, a little okay. dumb he's um, a little dumb you're right okay. but i think uh, okay poor yeah. but i think yeah i think she's giving him a bit of a tough rap i think she's i think she's being a little too cruel to him here you know. Yeah, because like who she's talking to Jacoby here too, though. So I'm kind of just like, but I am starting to see just from this episode now, Laura definitely at least you know while she was alive, she was clinging to some sort of affection too. Just like I'm starting to see with all these other teenagers within um, Twin Peaks, besides Donna for the most part, because again she does seem like she has a well-rounded family. Um, but yeah. Laura really she has so much mystery to her tapes cocaine deposit boxes um yeah Jacoby's not it that's <laughs> all I'm saying <laughs> um but yeah that's how I took the episode so what so overall mm-hmm. overall thoughts on the episode what, what like how are you feeling about the series so far only two episodes in how are you feeling? What's going on in your brain? Still feeling confused. I think it's going to be a constant thing I'm going to have to accept. Um, but I'm definitely, I mean, I'm getting a little bit more interested in it. I very much am more interested in Laura's character uh, right now than who actually murdered her, which is strange because obviously I still want to know who killed her. Um, but yeah, her whole background is what I'm really kind of curious about. That and... Um, I'm curious if there's actually, I feel like is all the food was covered already, and it's just continuously going to be love for coffee, pie, and donuts, but I'm really hoping there might be some more food that shows up out of nowhere, like french fries, or um, more french fries, because <laughs> you know I love french fries. Um, <laughs> but, no, yeah, I think I am, I am really intrigued. I definitely am starting to have, I think, a little bit more um, empathy for some of the teenage characters and like their sort of like parent dynamic. Um, But yeah, still very much unsure of what I'm getting into. And that's, I think that's what David Lynch (laughs) wants you to feel. I think that's how he would want you to feel at every moment of every (laughs) day on anything he watches. Um, (laughs) 
well just to talk briefly about the the production of this episode speaking of david lynch um this episode was written by david lynch and mark frost um this time just a bit of a switch on directors this was directed by Dwayne dunham um Dwayne actually influenced the series a lot again this is episode two so we're still establishing characters we're still establishing sort of the aesthetic and what we're looking at and you know you don't you know in passing conversation people don't mention you know hey Dwayne Dunham Twin Peaks um but this episode really like established a lot again like we talked about the idea of sort of Laura Palmer's murder sort of phasing into the background while these like relationships start to blossom and come to the forefront that was sort of his pull and he was the one who really was the one who was like yeah let's 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 introduce like a little bit of like flirtation between audrey and dale let's see where that relationship is gonna go um Mm -hmm. you know let's 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 see where these characters are going briefly the reception so this episode was um first broadcast on abc on april 12th of 1990 and it placed second in its time slot after cheers which is pretty incredible cheers was a hugely famous show show then um the av club did a few years back write a review of the episode giving it a a minus rating proper a minus rating uh that's decent. Yeah. Uh, Keith, Phil- uh, Keith Phipps wrote about it. He said that, uh, you know, these the, the scenes with Leo Johnson, and we talked about this, he said that they were, quote, among the show's most disturbing moments. On the flip side of that, um, Daniel J. Blau, uh, who was writing for Television Without Pity, which was a website that used to go back to old shows and sort of rate and review them, uh took a bit of a different approach in the AV club. Um, he felt that Dare's performance as Leo Johnson was just completely unconvincing. I didn't really believe that, that this character was anything that was scary or menacing or terrible. He was not convinced. And also felt, and this is where I'm sorry, I have to completely disagree also felt that um, the music of this show, uh, arranged by Angelo Badalamenti, said that the show had a limited range and repeated too many, too many of its musical cues were repeated throughout the show. I'm sorry, sir. I'm going to have to disagree. I want to hear those songs <laughs> again. I want to hear those songs over and over again. Like, take... Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with you on the music. The, the music has such a signature and I mean Lynch has or I think been known too for how he does his silent cues or how he spaces things out or some things can be repetitive but it's for the sake of emotion and what you're supposed to kind of be feeling but um, I might not par- completely disagree with them though about um, the guy that plays Leo I do think there is a little bit of an emptiness when watching him perform that but because of the whole tone of what's supposed to be happening and the fact that it's about this abusive sort of um person it still kind of you know resonates with how the rest of the scene is playing out but i do yeah i think you could but the music though no i definitely agree with you there yeah 
Um, and then this is this is just a great quote from the article. He says, "Leo attempts to method act his way into a quote taller and less taller and less bald than I really am frenzy in an attempt to inspire fear in pretty much anyone, but I remain unconvinced by his ostensibly sinister characterization." So again, I think he also agrees. Like, listen, it's the hair. It all comes down to the hair. It's just not menacing. <laughs> it's not terrifying at all. My goodness. Um, but Janine, it's time. Yep, yep. We go to the double R and grab oh, yeah. some pie and some coffee. Because wait, let me do a better slur. Oh, little. Oh. Okay, I officially assess I cannot slurp with wine. It's all right. It's just not possible. I have coffee in my nose now. <laughs> because today, uh, we are talking about the legacy of food on Twin Peaks. That's right. I mean, Madonna. Uh, yeah, obviously, the, the pilot episode, we get a lot of donuts, but this... This is where we really establish that this show is all about food, all about a good, sweet, sugary stuff. So we're just going to, like, chew into our microphones. Oh, yeah. And that's basically, I mean, it is just an imitation of a a well-done a well done donut scene. I mean, listen, this is, this is going to be a... I, so I had told Janine that she needs to have donuts or something because... We're not going to be able to talk about this without getting some sugar in our diet here. Um, yep. I mean, really, Twin Peaks and food, it's its its inextricably linked. I mean, I even remember, Janine, when we had first started talking about doing this podcast, I had asked you, like, oh, well, like, what, like, what do you know about Twin Peaks? And you were like, well, like, I know it's a murder mystery. I know it's David Lynch, so it's super, <laughs> like, weird. Um, and, yeah, I know that there's, like, pie and donuts involved like it's like we were having coffee too when we were talking about this which is kind of funny. it's true yeah i think that's actually what mm-hmm. made us bring it up um probably but we um but yeah it's it's it twin peaks and food go together so much it's it's one of the first thing that comes up in a conversation about twin peaks um it's it's sort of interesting that like when you look at food and what he does in Twin Peaks, and we'll see a lot more of this in the show as we go on, but David Lynch kind of like overemphasizes the food. Like he sort of like yeah, almost to an uncomfortable degree. Exactly, which is not surprising. But yeah, I, I, it's just like food. Here's the food. Here's the donut. Yeah. Here's here's the donut. And I think it's interesting how he uses that because you know in some cases, the way that he like focuses and on the food and like each shot kind of like stays a little bit too long on the food and it's interesting that like he uses it in some cases to make us uncomfortable and in other ways to like make us feel really cozy like there's that scene where like dale's on the phone with um one of his other fbi agents albert and he Mm -hmm. says you know albert you gotta go to the lampliner inn they got a cherry pie that'll kill ya you know, and it's just, it's it's this, like, overemphasis, this excitement. And again, you know, you talk about how Coop gets so easily excited about things. He especially gets excited about food. 
you know? Yeah, more than anything. Yeah, and and I think, too, that, like, it's the way that he really, like, sexualizes food almost and goes into, like, the details. Like, even, like, Dale Cooper's order at the beginning of the episode, it's not enough to say, like, yeah, I want burnt bacon. No, I want burnt bacon. No, I mean really cremated. I want those... I want I want those I'm... those those grapefruits to be freshly squeezed. And he transitions Only... into this sexual sort of tirade about food while he's looking at Audrey. It's really incredible. I mean only a, a you know, a town like Twin Peaks and a character like Cooper could go from using the words like cremated to, you know, freshly squeezed grape ju- juice like go <laughs> basically yeah Absolutely. i can see what you mean definitely and how he sexualizes sort of this take on food and just how it's like the epitome of the best thing ever with you know with the pie and with the yeah with everything that he's approaching with food it definitely is like yeah it's a it's a line of where it goes from being uncomfortable and another area where it becomes like you're yearning for what they're having um, like and how you how you express as like cozy and stuff. So I could definitely exactly. Yeah, we we talked about it like we we talked about it last time. You keep the lights lighter and the darks darker, and that's really oh yeah. And and it it shows in the food in this too, and like you know you think about it now, like to kind of talk about like how this had an impact on you know on pop culture and the way that you know things are now. This was really kind of like. I mean, Twin Peaks was before the Food Network. You know, it was... Wow. You know, it was before uh, Anthony Bourdain. It was before this whole, like, frenzy of, like, you know, foodies and sort of, like, that culture that is so surrounded by food. And Twin Peaks really, like, establishes, like, this town that is just so overly obsessed with food. And specifically very like american centric foods like donuts and pies and that idea of like the american nostalgia around diners and going to a diner and getting a hot cup of coffee and it being you know the best pie you've ever had and the best coffee you ever had um it's really important to the way that the show not only functions but the influence that it's had um one of the ones that i i always think of is george rr R. martin if you ever read Game of Thrones, the way he like talks about food in such explicit detail, you can almost like taste it off the pages. <laughs> um, and, and and it's really hard to you know, it's really hard to say that Twin Peaks didn't have an influence because I, I really think that it did. I like I said, it's so inextricable from the show itself, and you can see references in pop culture today still. Um, yeah, it it's only making me think how many times I've been unaware of its um, impact on so many things I have watched, having not seen like Twin Peaks before. So, it because all this food talk does make me think of a recent film I watched this year, which has become a new favorite film film of mine, um, and it's called um, Big Night. And it has Stanley Tucci in it, um, Tony Shalhoub, I think I said his name right. Um, but it, it's essentially a, a movie surrounded by food and love for food. And But I'm pretty sure that came out 
either around the same time as Twin Peaks or after. And sometimes I'm just like, I'm thinking to myself, was there a connection there? <laughs> I mean, they are very two different stories, but it is interesting to think of all these different things that kind of unfolded in the 90s and, you know, into today that essentially had an impact from Twin Peaks. Like, I didn't really realize the gravity of it. I'm still not sure if I do, but it, it's kind of interesting now just in the early days of watching it. Yeah, and, and you know, like, I, I mean, I mentioned it before. You will, you will, when you finish Twin Peaks, you'll go on and you'll watch other series and just sit there and be like, oh, this is a Twin Peaks reference. Oh, wait a minute. This is, this is like classic David Lynch. This is like, like by the books and i really think that food had such a huge and unique influence uh on this show um some some other fun references in pop culture there's a an episode of psych if you remember the show psych i haven't seen it but i i know reference of it and it looks like a funny show. it's a very funny show Pleasant. very very neat show mm -hmm. and they do an entire episode that is just Twin Peaks references. It's called Dual Spires. It features <laughs> numerous cast members from Twin Peaks. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Um, but even in that show, they understood how important food was to Twin Peaks because, you know, in dual, in the town of Dual Spires, they're well known for, instead of coffee and cherry pie, it's cinnamon pie and apple cider. Um, mm, okay. There was also a recent reference for people who are into uh, YouTube commentary. There was a famous YouTuber, ContraPoint, who recently made a damn fine coffee reference. Uh, so, I mean, you know, the, the, these references are everywhere. They're constant. You will, again, you'll you'll watch this show and then you'll go even back and watch, like, one of your favorite TV shows that you've watched a hundred times and realize... Wait a minute, that's a direct Twin Peaks reference. How did I not, how did my brain not register yeah. that? Um, so much of an impact that some people would be referencing it and they don't even realize they're referencing Twin Peaks. So. Exactly, exactly. But. And you really see it in the food. Oh, we love food. Let's get one more, one, one more slurp of this. I know, right as you said that, I was looking at my donut like, mm. how has it not been? But Janine? Mm-hmm. It's time for you to I'm bringing you downtown. We're going downtown. We got some questions. I'm bringing you into the sheriff's station. Because I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you a few questions about this episode and about your experience so far. So, Janine, as of right now, episode two, mm -hmm. who would you say your favorite mm -hmm. character is? Oof. Oh, aside from the donuts um <laughs> i have to say um the log lady although just a brief cameo i'm pretty sure i had that with my first answer in the first episode where it was not that much uh, screen time but the whole demeanor that the log lady has um i mean she's got spunk and she has a level of confidence that yeah again i would like to possess so I want to say the log lady. If I had to pick a character that has a bit more groundwork, let's say, um, like I want to be a cool person and be like, or uh, I want to say an, a an answer that's not Cooper. But I mean, listen, it's <laughs> a good answer. It's a good answer. It is a good answer. 
I mean, I have I have to say it's really tough to pick one. I'm really bad when it comes to just narrowing down and picking one character and and especially in just one episode. Um, <laughs> bed frame guy, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> bed frame guy. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm gonna. <laughs> Amazing. You know what my ba- favorite character is? Big Pussycat. Big pu- there we go. That's it. I love it. I love that answer. Yeah, you know what? In this one episode alone, yeah, Log Lady. I'm confident with that answer. She gave me the confidence I need to just say Log Lady. Uh, Janine, what was your favorite scene in this episode? Favorite scene from this episode, I think, was, um, maybe just because it made me uh, chuckle quite a bit, was the um oh my god the scene between uh donna and sarah and the edit of laura's face on donna's face um (laughs) not even just not just for comical purposes like i mean that scene and also because it was the most um what the fuck moment when um when this guy just showed up at the bed frame that wasn't obviously like my most comfortable moment and you know watching it but i think that was probably my favorite scene because it was just a total fine like a moment of being like okay this is brand new what is this who is he um and also just the, the interaction between donna and uh sarah was you know interesting so yeah i'd say that scene i think that's a, i think that's a great scene to choose yeah i think for me it's uh thank you I, I just gotta give it to the to the scene at the top with Coop just hanging upside down, asking. Yeah, it is a good like, one. Just these like Diane monologues are just so <laughs> rich and so great. They give you so much yeah. context about like who he is and how his brain works, and just the mm-hmm. line about Marilyn Monroe and who really pulled the trigger on AFK. It's just, it's just <laughs> great. I love that scene. Uh, and Janine, last, of course, not least. Mm-hmm. Who killed Laura Palmer? Big pussy. <laughs> in all seriousness, in serious, all uh oh goodness, um, uh, Ben. Okay, Ben Horn. Ben. Yeah, I mean, there's he was just one that came to mind. I think because he was shady to me even in the first episode. Um, I mean, anyone that that that's that more on you know about business than anything else. I'm not a fan of, but I think there is something about Ben that shows an extreme power play. I mean, that would maybe also question Catherine. To be honest, it could have been both of them together based on their relationship they're showing. Um, yeah, so I'd say that there's some uh, right now. Ben and Catherine, I think, could be two possible people that killed Laura Palmer. Well, we will mm-hmm. uh, we will have to keep watching to see how your <laughs> predictions play out. Um, I am completely finished with my pie and my coffee, so the timing was perfect. I have two bites left of my <laughs> How disappointing. Um, but thank you so much for listening, and Janine, thank you for taking the time to go over this episode. Um, my honor we will s- more donuts more donuts listen if you are listening to this podcast be prepared to for your sugar intake to just skyrocket because we're going to be eating so many donuts drinking so much coffee yeah, and if you weren't eating a donut with us during this if episode you, yeah. like what are you doing go back listen to it again <laughs> chow down on some donuts uh, but thank you for listening and we will see you next time
on Welcome to Twin Speaks. Thanks, Nick. Welcome to Twin Speaks is edited by Janine Purse and produced by Mike Dowd with music by RJ Mills. Follow us on Instagram at Welcome to Twin Speaks or you can email us at welcometotwinspeaks at gmail.com.